talking to Tony, and it's like, he's like, dude, I found a skink. Are you sure? He's, and, he, and Tony's line of response was, yeah, it's biting my finger. This episode is brought to you by Rad Dudes Who Love Nature. Tony says no highlights perfection. We're just getting started, getting our drinks. Um, we're like the drunken masters of urban wildlife podcasting. Um, you might have fabulous pragmatist style, but get a few drinks on us and we'll out podcast you. So I'm Billy Brown. I'm Tony Crowsden. And here we have our special guest host, Hannah Waters. In this episode, we're going to look at a couple stories about species that might or might not have been introduced, and get into the question of who cares. Um, so let's introduce Hannah. Hannah, who are you, and how do you get into nature stuff? Um, I am a longtime nature lover since I grew up in New Jersey. I am now a science writer, but I've done a lot of time, spent a lot of time doing uh, research on shorebirds in particular, a lot of beachy, oceany things, and... I don't know. It's, it's just, I feel more at home with, with the creatures than with the human creatures, the non-human creatures than the human creatures. So why do you live in South Philly then? I know, it's it's mostly concrete. Although I was very <laughs> happy just just this past week, I, for the very first time, heard heard and saw the mating dance of the woodcock right over my home uh, in, in South Philadelphia. You had woodcock just playing over your house? Yes, it was amazing. I've been hearing it calling for a very long time. When did you have this? This was just a few weeks ago. It was. I I like we were listening to it and I could not believe it. I, li- I played Tony the song. Shaker, it was not a woodcock. It was not a woodcock. <laughs> I saw I saw it do the dive like yep. this. It was not woodcock. What was it? What was it? Common nighthawks. Common nighthawks. Well, that's pretty badass. No, listen, but listen. So, so here. <laughs> that's so, amazing. I'm so impressed. We have nighthawks in South Philly. Common nighthawks nest on. So here, this is why you're thinking woodcock. Right? Because here's their call. That's what you heard, right? Yeah. That's not what you heard. It's a frog. This is what you heard. That's what I heard. Wait. What's that secondary sound? That's the display. So both these birds... um, And they're both... You know, they're both... Birds that occur in urban areas frequently. Um, both these birds have uh, an aerial display at dusk that's made with feathers, so that they make their call, and a call sounds very similar. And maybe because they're both crepuscular birds, that call from maybe that call carries at that time yeah. of the night in those conditions, you know. But the uh, so, so the nighthawks they dive down, and that is made with their wings pulling. I was trying to find a call. I was like, it sounds just like a woodcock, but I can't find a recording of this like wing noise. So where do they nest? Do they nest on chimneys and stuff? They nest on gravel roofs. Gravel roofs. And that's why throughout the rest oh. of the state, people... So if you're a bird watcher, it's funny. I would joke about my yard list in South Philly being like really desirable because people will talk about, oh, I had 15 species of warbler you know, in, in like their yard that has a stream in it or something yeah. in, in May. Um, but I'll be like, yeah, but you don't have... Uh, common nighthawk and laughing gull on your yard list, and when you live in Philadelphia, because we're the only like coastal plain city, you, um, we're right on the river, 
and we get laughing gulls that migrate up the river, feeding at the dumps, and they don't occur in the rest of the state. They're they're a salt marsh species, oh. so they come up from the feeding up from the bay, or they fly straight across the state to feed the dumps and go back. What are, they, are these ones the blackheads? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and cool. then the uh, nighthawks we have because they they nest on gravel roofs, so so uh, we we have plenty of bre- of aeration to breed while the rest of the state. And these are bug eaters, mm-hmm. and they're like related to the swifts. No, they're related. They're uh, they're they're ground nests. They're like whippoorwills, right? Yeah, they're in that group. Yeah, but they're not. Okay. Oh, but they don't actually. Miss I'll look them up. Okay, cool. Either way, yes, I live in South Philadelphia, and if not woodcocks, I get to see see nighthawks. And I've been there. We've just demonstrated that even living in South Philly, you can get some pretty cool wildlife in your backyard. Um, as I also found out, I did a herping trip to South Philly around uh, 18th and Wharton. Um, and found, I flipped a whole bunch of brown snakes, which isn't so shocking, but, um, it's just neat to be in like a vacant lot, not a big vacant lot. Um, and like finding a whole bunch of snakes. We are going to introduce our, our, our first guy. When we started thinking about the podcast, we knew we had to have David Hewitt, um, somehow, some way, maybe a lot. Um, and so David in Philadelphia is well known as an urban ecologist, um, kind of a, uh, what were we going to say, like a, a mad mycologist by training. Um, and he gets into all kinds of urban natural history, historical urban natural history topics. He's got a great blog that we'll link to called Growing History. Um, and uh, He's also like the most humble Harvard PhD you'll ever meet. <laughs> yeah, neat guy. Um, but he's like a, he's also got a punk background. Like he's got a punk background. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you didn't you ever heard us get into this? No. Well, yeah, I have he's no also such... David's also like a teacher and an educator. Yeah, he's a professor. Yeah. yeah, he teaches public classes through the library, which I've taken a couple of them. Really fantastic. So he'll teach at Penn. But he, he'll but teach he, at libraries in West Philly. Yeah, he's a he's, he's a neat guy. Yeah. Like um, he has fingers rock. in everything, kind of. Ecology and natural history in Philly. Yeah, so let's uh, let's listen to some David. All right. So we're here with David Hewitt, um, talking about um, some really maybe really old sugar maples. I don't know how old these are. Yeah, that Oakland Cemetery. Yeah, that we're not totally sure how old they are, but Oakland Cemetery used to be Benjamin Rush's Where estate. Where is it? So it's it's up uh, just above Frankfurt. It's near North. You know where Northwood is, but it's above Frankfurt in the lower north. The, the northeast area of Philadelphia. It's not northeast Philadelphia. Yeah, for those who are in Philadelphia, northeast Philadelphia refers to a specific area. set of area, yeah. neighborhoods area beyond Tacony Creek, basically. Yeah. This is like the cardinal direction northeast of Philadelphia. <laughs> it's about six, seven miles out from Center City. But don't go asking someone where it is in northeast yeah, yeah. Philly because they'll laugh at you. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This area is um, right nearby to Frankfurt. It's right nearby this area called Juniata Park. Harrogate and Harrogate um, actually was like this spa area there. The the, uh, the pirate perch was discovered there two hundred years ago. Is a, a fish, um, and so Harrogate. The pirate perch is a oh, it's a fish. It's not. A it's not a fish. It's not, not a real pirate. It's not it's a, a restaurant fish. where pirates <laughs> seats for pirates. All right, it's the perch. Yeah. <laughs> and so that area out there, you know, it was it was a lot of farms. Yeah. When oh gosh, John Adams when he comes here, he goes out that area, writes about the area out there. Okay. A neat. lot of agriculture, you know, between. What we now call Center City, Philadelphia, at the time was the city of Philadelphia, yeah. within the county of Philadelphia. And there was Northern Liberties in Kensington, and then there was... Farms. A few miles. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but also a lot of farms. Orchards were out there. 
um, and also Mark Lane. And so this is where founding father physician Benjamin Rush yes. had a property? Yeah, and so okay. Benjamin Rush had a property out there, and that's now Greenwood Cemetery. Okay. Um, and that area, he grew sugar maples. He was an abolitionist. And one of his um, To abolish slavery, he grew... Sugar maples. Yeah, to prevent reliance on sugar coming in from ah uh, okay uh, uh, slave plantations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so he was saying we should grow sugar maples, and he wrote on this, um, wrote articles on do this. Sugar maples do do sugar maples do well in Philadelphia's climate? Oh yeah, they do very well. I was thinking it had to be colder. I, I, I see a lot of them. Um, I see. Them. Do they I, produce good sap? In this that climate? I don't know. Okay. Um, people, I know people try to tap them, but I have no idea why. I didn't follow up on that. Um, okay. But I imagine they would. I mean, there and these ones are huge. They're over four feet across. They're very good size. We and this is big for a sugar maple. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, certainly a sugar maple around here. I mean, if you go up in, in like central New York, they'll be that. They'll you know. They, and no one's drilled into them to. We were we were going to, um, but didn't. Um, okay. In part just because you would need a core that was like a thirty-six inch core because <laughs> they're huge. They're really really giant, um, and they're beautiful. I mean, they're really nice. Okay, so that was that was a little neat little snippet. Um, I now am desperate to try to tap those trees and see if we can have the sugar, have the maple syrup that we can thank Benjamin Rush for. Yeah, well, they do. Um, Fox Cheese Farm, which is um, not too far from there. In right, it's a, it's a farm that's <clears throat> Philly owns. Philadelphia owns a couple of properties that actually leave the city limits proper, and part of the farm is in. in Philly city limits, a part of it is in Montgomery County, but it's all owned by the city of Philadelphia, yeah. and they uh, have a, a school district site there, and they take kids there, and they do um, sugar maple, they, they, they have a sugar, oh. uh, maple sugar day there, so I know that, you know, you can get viable, you know, uh, sh- sugar out of, uh, <clears throat> you can get maple syrup, and you can make sugar out of the maples in Philadelphia, and you can also use nori maples and and uh, silver maples, I believe, as well. Oh, is most of the sh- uh, maple syrup from you know Vermont or Canada? Is that a sugar maple yeah. product? Yeah. Right. I wonder if it does better in the cold up there. I've always assumed so. Otherwise, right. why don't we have it more down here? Well, I think it's. I love maple syrup almost as much as peanut butter. Right, but I think it's a. Um, I love maple peanut butter. It's a great combination. <laughs> well, I love these little babies. They have the peanut butter maple tarragon ice cream. It's delicious. You had me until tarragon. Yeah. No, it's great. It okay. really is. Yeah, so sugar maples, you know, they're they're like a northern woods kind of tree, like the, not really boreal forest, but like getting close to the boreal, and, and yeah. like the, you know, Appalachians. They occur naturally in Pennsylvania, but I don't think they probably occurred in Philly naturally, but now they do. So I have a note from one of our fans, um, resident fans even. Uh, who makes a note that Wick House, which is an historic house... Wait, did you say Wick House? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Um, but, uh, but it's a historic house. Uh, I think it's in German, Germantown? Yes. On Germ- Germantown Avenue. On Germantown Avenue, uh, which is a neighborhood in Philly, uh, does sugar mapling as well with an explicit historical connection to Benjamin Rush. I didn't know about Benjamin Rush and the abolition stuff with Benj- with sugar maples before, but now I will thank him. I can't thank him because it didn't work, but um, I also think of him fondly every time I have maple syrup. So I don't know if Benjamin Rush ever did anything around skinks, but I'll say from the Herper angle, um, last year there was like 
big news in the Philadelphia herping world, which I know is only so big, but that someone had found five-line skinks. Five-line skinks are a common species of lizard, like the name implies. They've got five lines um, down their backs, uh, sort of brown and yellow. Um, The babies have bright blue tails, like a lot of skinks. And so they are widespread, but in Philadelphia they hadn't been seen for like 40 years. Um, But someone found one and sent a picture in to the state amphibian reptile tracking system, uh, which we talked about last episode, Pennsylvania Amphibian Reptile Survey. Um, So someone sent in a picture documenting the first skink in like 40 years um, at a park on the Delaware waterfront. Uh, Although we know one was found two years previously. And we'll get into that in this clip, Tony. We will hear all about that, about skink vicious, the tale of skink vicious. So we'll hear all about the skinks with our buddy Mike, who will probably be on future episodes. What's your title? Michael McGraw. I'm a wildlife biologist and an ecologist. Tell us about the skinks that you saw. So, these skink observations uh, started with a colleague's son who is on the Washington Ave Pier and uh, said he saw lizards with blue tails. And um, so I got an email and I just said, hey, if that's true, that's pretty significant. You know, I'm going to look into the heritage data, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, skink, five-line skink hasn't been seen in, in the city limits in quite some time. And I was telling you, like, I had heard, ru- this is the kind of thing where you hear rumors. You know, like, I didn't think much of it, because I was yeah. like, oh, it's a whale tracks in the middle of the city. I'm, but now I'm like, we got to check it out. Yeah. So. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll say right now that we, we got to check it out are the operative words here, because um, uh, all my records so far are from field crew guys, the guys who were doing the ecological restoration work on the pier. Okay. And uh, it wasn't until they showed up with photos that I was like, okay, you know, that's a five-line skink. So did you see any of them yourself? No. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. All so, right. But so somebody in this room does have a record. Oh, we got to tell the story of skink A record of five-line skink in Philadelphia. Is that right? The, I was... I was, I was was I at home or... I think I was at home. And I got a text from Tony. A call. It was a call? Alright, it was a call from Tony. And it's like... He's like, dude, I found a skink. And I was oh, like... this is right. I, I even called like, that the Five Light Skink. I was like, where are you? He's like, I'm in, I'm in Southwest Philly. And I'm like... And I'm like... I'm like, I'm 47th in Baltimore. And I'm like... In Springfield. And I'm like, are you sure? He's, and, he, and Tony's line response was, yeah, it's biting my finger. <laughs> like, and so I was like, I was like, I'm hopping my bike. I'll yeah, check it out. I'm coming. I'm coming. And sure enough, he had a five line skink that we found across from what you know what church that is, across from some like a big Catholic church. Yeah, they're yeah. doing a lot of renovations. Yeah. Um, and so I'm looking at it. And I'm thinking like I got a lot of friends who live in this neighborhood, and they tell me about the brown snakes they see. If there were sure. skinks running around their backyards, I would know about it. And so like, yeah. and so we figured it was. Well, there was someone who had a nice, in this, you know, we should talk in terms of people who don't know Philadelphia very well. Yeah. Well, Philadelphia is an extremely dense city of tight row houses. West Philly, part, you know, all three of us actually live in, has quite a few, like, Victorian twins. Yeah. Uh, some single houses, even. So, Barry's a significant, you know, yard for a big city. And, and this there was a really nice property there that had, obviously, recent 
yard work done. And there's and there was also this is where we started talking to the guys. I think it just later maybe that I came back and talked to some of the workmen working on the church. Find out where the plants came from, yeah. or not the plants. I was asking where they had like these big these um, like truckloads of the the scaffolding stuff that they were coming the trucks bringing that. Stuff oh in. right, right. And I was like, "Where's your yard for this stuff?" And they're like, "Oh, it's in Delaware." Yeah. And so I was. Um, I was yeah, like, there's a couple skinks in Delaware. Yeah. So <laughs> I was thinking, okay, maybe they maybe Skink Vicious hopped a ride on the. On the uh, on a, a yeah. truckload of uh, yep. boards that have been or in the yard, could have come in on a root ball, of or a, come in a root ball, yeah, of, yep. a, of a you know a red bud growing in a nursery Absolutely. somewhere where there's skinks, you know, right. And so I took I took I took skinkfishes into custody. He yeah. ended up in a, in, a, in a nature center in Chester County. In so end. now that yeah. we've okay. interviewed yeah. the coyote yeah. professor, yeah, and he thought my story was extremely plausible. And that you know that when I call you and tell you that I found a skink, it was a legit skink. You actually found a skink. It was definitely a skink. So yeah. now, don't you? Th- can you agree now that I definitely saw a coyote? That my sighting was valid. I'll grant you the coyote. So what is this about? Is this about vagrant animals, or is this about Tony's? This is about Billy and I's relationship. Urban ecological. This is about Billy and I's relationship. I, I, I we're gonna I, we're having a venture gran- together. I'm you know, gran- you gotta trust I'm, me. I'm granting you the coyote, Tony. I thought you were going to start making the case that the skinks are breeding and have a population around, like, Chester and 46 or something like that. No, 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 not at all. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, okay, I'll, then I'm not going to fight you on that. Yeah. So this is, so I'm glad that but, we've but got now, to... But now we got these skinks yeah. down by the river. And so I'm glad we're talking about speculation. It's a probably a good theme for this, these skink observations. So, again, here we have... These skinks, they're on, they're in a fallow space, right? You got this whole series of fallow, yeah, describe phallic, the, fallow landscapes. Describe and, these projecting piers for did me. Did you say yeah, phallic? I did say fallow. Okay, so we're talking about piers, and so describe a little bit of the, the what the landscape, what the waterfront scape yeah. is that you're looking at. Sure. So it's kind of geometrically aligned. These are all rectangles. Some of them are were built better than others, or get less... More tidal action than others, and so they're wasting away. So they've taken more naturalized shapes. Um, but often it's a hardscaped edge, uh, and then dredged uh, river. You know, yeah. that's, so there's not some of that's renaturalized. But essentially, what you have on top is broken up concrete and uh, windblown, and you know, animal vector established plants. There's a lot of mulberry trees. Yeah. There's mugwort. Um, Animal vector means bird poop seeds out. Yeah. Go. Yep. Or deer. Yeah. Um, yes. And so uh, it's transported. largely uh, non-native, not, you know, low wildlife value from a food standpoint, from a structural standpoint, pretty damn critical because it's otherwise a hardscaped, impervious surface landscape. So. Yeah. So you ha- it's refugia for a lot of things. For example, there's a high a high density of brown snakes and eastern garter snakes. I've seen that. Yes. Yeah. And uh, well, well, this area is is before the, your company did all this great work there. It caught you know um, my friend Todd, and then you know I, yeah. I I jumped on the bandwagon there. It was a phenomenal migrant trap for birds in the fall, especially. You, that's, that's exactly so the I'm, next thing I was going to say, was that yeah. the, the, the structure, and it's just its position in the landscape, it's along a major undammed river system that cuts right up through um, PA, New Jersey, New York. Yeah. Um, 
it's a it's a phenomenal migration corridor. So basically, any naturalized landscape along it is phenomenal for birds and migration. And our good buddy Todd has exemplified that his eBird list for for that pier and the one just south of it is phenomenal. I mean, mm. it's got we're talking. I don't know birders out there, but we're talking Connecticut warbler, yeah, black bill cuckoo, all the catharsis thrushes, yeah, you know, like. Ridiculous stuff. Yeah, and then a hurricane comes, and what's been seen from there? <laughs> yeah, Philadelphia's first record of sandwich turn. Yeah, sandwich turn, storm petrels, parasitic yeah. yeagers. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's. Can I ask about some of the more common stuff? Like, yeah, sure. So, what hangs out there through the winter? We see different sparrows. So, well, oh, it's the, a great wintering spot for sparrows. Yeah, white-throated and white-crowned sparrows. So song I could have seen a white crown, man. Oh, absolutely, dude. All right, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I said it was like it was more likely. I'm looking at the thing and had a plain neck and the white, you know. Uh, that's it. Uh, yeah, you saw a male. There's no denying it. I mean, all right, that's it. I you got bad. a white crown. I saw a tree sparrow for sure. I was happy. <coughs> all right, but so what did your firm do? Like, so so you took this. All right, so this, like, concrete so, and yep, invasives, yep. You know? So this is this is an example of a pier that was wasting away. Yeah. So um, Margaritaville. In in South Philadelphiaville, <laughs> and uh, so just north of it is an active pier. It's the Coast Guard pier, shared with the Philadelphia Fire Department. Uh, and just south of it is a larger pier that's well armored, still has me- both metal and uh, concrete walls. Um, and uh, so this one is old. Quick history on it. Uh, I don't know a ton about it, but I know that it's, they call it Philadelphia's Ellis Island. It was a, it that's was a, where all my people came in. Yeah. So I'm, there you I, go. I'm really, I was out there. I was like, oh, that's pretty. Cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, so it has a great history there, yeah. and uh, um, so it's wasting away. So there's a lot of exposed um, cribbing, that original lumber cribbing, which is actually great overwintering structure for. Turtles, such as red belly turtle. So cribbing means like the vertical timbers set into the. But it's, the, these are horizontally laid out. It's just, ah, okay. It's a it's just a geometric. You know, it's just, it's just, they're just laid on top of each other. They're essentially the foundation of the entire thing. Back in the day, you know, what when, when was it built? You know, the eighteen hundreds, mid eighteen hundreds or something. So yeah. mid eighteen hundreds or something. They just laid out this grid work of lumber, and then they just pushed dirt onto it and built mounds of dirt and then created retaining walls and filled in the thing with dirt, you know? So what happened to the turtles? Didn't they they, they hibernate in there? Yeah, I'm pretty certain that... Uh, How far back do the nooks and crannies go? Just like, if you're down in the water, you're looking at just like something goes in like that or it's like, go deep in, like you can't get all, back, all the way back in there. So, like, if you're snorkeling and you had an underwater flashlight, <laughs> because we know people that snorkel with underwater flashlights. I'm just in saying the Delaware River that that you could. I got an idea now. Okay, go ahead. Keep talking. So, but, yeah. Hold up. So, <laughs> at some point, we have to address in this podcast that Billy snorkels for turtles. Why did you name your daughter Emmy? That's a good question. With a Y. Because I was not the only person naming my daughter. Mm. Um, but look, we picked a we picked a floral element anyway. You know, like it wasn't it wasn't like we named her after a rock or, or oh, but, and by the way, or a biblical name, a magnolia worker. Right? So you guys know, Billy and Mike 
I introduced because I need to hang out with each other because they're the two single father herpetologists that I know. <laughs> and Billy's daughter's named Magnolia, and Mike's daughter's named Layla Magnolia. And we did not coordinate this at all. Not no. whatsoever. That's just that's just how badass we are. Um, so the so you guys took this pier that was falling apart. Yeah. Um, and had a whole, basically broken concrete yeah. and a whole bunch of, of trash plants on top. Our work was essentially to design and build a new pier. Yeah. You know? um, budget was a limiting factor. We had some big ideas. I had some really big ideas about tidal, freshwater, estuarine, you know, restoration stuff. Because you have, a, you have two coves. Um, and one of them, we did, we did bathymetry. One... You did the what? Bathymetry. Do tell. So it's just a study of the depth of okay. the, you know, how much, you know, what's the underwater topography? Do you use bathyspheres for your bathymetry? <laughs> <laughs> so we they've, learned... They've advanced beyond that these days in technology. Some areas, um, there's been a lot of sedimentation, and there's almost a mudflat during the lowest tides between, on the south, in the south cove, mm. which is pretty interesting. I like... I mean, it's like literally a, just a, a sheen of water at the lowest tides for the slug area. So I'm like, we need to be planting pickerel weed and arrow arum and other sa- sagittate leafed plants, you know, um, and get an emergent wetland system going. Yeah. Um, it's already, right now it provides minimal habitat for um, waterfowl. You know, the cribbing and stuff provides like a little bit of hide structure and there's definitely some fish. Um, there's only one native uh, aquatic plant species that tends to set up and it establishes and then gets beats up by wave action. So we find like broken bits here and there, but it's not no successful stuff. Anyway, I'm being long-winded. Yeah. The, the budget was a limiting factor, so we didn't do any like we didn't do a lot of in-water work, you yeah. know. Um, so we essentially focused on the terrestria, terra firma. Um, we did some soils analysis. Most of the soil, all the soil is non-native, you know. And it was actually, dredged in from, it was hauled in from somewhere else. Some was dredged, but a lot of it was just from like, you fun. know, South Philly from the 1800s, like just moving dirt. Yeah. And then uh, crushed buildings. You it's know, there's fill. a lot of brick. It's fill. Yeah. 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 But urban fill, which is different from farm. Land fill. Good point. Were these no. bricks from houses? Yeah, these bricks from houses. Brick house. House. <laughs> and uh, so you know when the, when those bricks break down, there's you know was it calcium carbonate? You know, so there, there's some soil, there's some nutrients in the soil. Okay. You know, yeah. Um, so we didn't do much for soil amendments, but there were soil analysis analyses done. I I leaned on Todd, who's a phenomenal birder, who shared shared with me his his birding records, just to look at to try and see if we could isolate any particular birds that are moving through, that might be better off, that are of interest from a, a a rarity perspective or you know a regional ecosystem perspective that could benefit from structural uh, vegetative plantings beyond what we were already planning essentially. So you could you like know. tailor what you're planning. To, yeah, exactly. To like exact, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, like. Well, that so. that reminds. May, may I ask a question here? Sure. I don't want to derail you, but. Um, so as a birder with a bit of horticulture background, um, and and I used to live in South Philly and bird this area with Todd, 
And I got stopped by Coast Guard and the Homeland Security guy boarding with Todd when they first opened the trail up because they thought we were well dressed terrorists. <laughs> well, Todd was a well dressed terrorist. I look like a scumbag. I'm gonna say, how well dressed were you, Tony? I was wearing a cap, cut off sleeve punk shirt. Yeah. Oh my god, the, the the homeland security guy like straight up looked like he had like a three quarter length leather jacket, like slick back hair. He was like total like South Philly like like knee breaker. You know, <laughs> it was cool. But anyway, so we were um so one thing we noticed was so you know, there's a series of piers. I mean this area isn't just one pier, it's a whole bunch of piers. Right. And there's like no man's lands, brown fields, and we go bird there and it's mostly like Polonia, Alansis um, mugwort, goldenrod fields, and... Nothing special. No. Yeah, but there's structure there, right? right? And so it's great for migrants, you know, and... But I noticed well, that... Well, hold on, hold on. Well, let's not say it's great for migrants. Migrants touch down and move to there, so it's a great place to observe migrants, but what is the value from a dietary perspective? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct, and obviously this is... So that's what they're planning. That's what I... I mean, that's what I'm studying that. in grad school is... Right. is yeah. Is is what birds and eat. That's what we're applying, right? But and your company is, you know, um, on point with this. So I'm about to leave you a question. My question is, yeah. I saw an area that wasn't your company's work, and they denuded the understory completely, yeah. and just planted like you know plugs of natives. And we were like, oh my god, like invasives. Yeah, they're like the, there could be higher nutritional value. Either the, either the fruits they produce or the insects on them of natives. But if you completely take away the understory, then like you're gonna, you know, all the understory birds are not gonna be able to be there. So what I'm asking? Find understory. Shrub layer. Shrub and herbaceous layer. So technically, the herbaceous layer is the ground story, right? We're gonna say the things that are just basically the fuzz on the ground. Well, here's my question. Yeah. How did your Company, did, did, what was your strategy for? Did you did for you know your vegetation plantings? Did you just right. completely nuke the whole site and then put stuff, or did you like leave structure? Well, that's a mulberry. In, even if it was invasive. Right, so, it, well, we did. We ended up leaving some mulberry trees there, but you're talking about the understory. Yeah. Here's the deal with ecological restoration. What you're essentially doing is consciously creating disturbance, and then you're guiding this, the successional reestablishment of plants. Um, there's very few ecosystems on the planet that don't have some evolved strategies for responding to disturbance. The disturbance needs to be appropriate. For example, in the tropics, a hurricane will rip through and snap the tallest trees, or lianas will pull down one or two trees, leaving these small spaces. And in those small spaces, you get the highest diversity of plant regrowth because the plants in that area have evolved to these small-scale disturbances. In the boreal forest, a wildfire sweeps through and takes out 300,000 acres. And it's I've been there. Big, yeah. Literally. Yeah. I've been there. I did field research in, there, in it. Uh, Cheers in to that. June. We're drinking, by the way. That's how we roll. To bore a forest disturbance via fire. Yeah, so I was I just did bird studies and veg studies in a, in an area that burned six years ago, upland boreal forest in northern Minnesota. And whatever uh, whatever wimp 
I was in a Bora forest that was actively burning, and and the and the amphibious planes were landing and taking on water and fighting it. I couldn't even do field work because there was so much smoke. Well, see, all right, we, who's we, a whip? We, you weren't doing your field work while it was burning. I was radio tracking pine snakes right behind an active fire in the Pine Barrens six years ago. I'm a burly dude. Mike McGraw is as burly as they come. Oh, you're gonna make my Irish cheeks blush. All right, but, so you're replanting so, on the beer. yes, yes, yes. Uh. Well, so back, just back to the, the disturbance thing. Here's the deal with that. We have a network, uh, like you like you had, you had stated. This was Pier Fifty Three. Three. That's one of many, many, many piers throughout this contiguous fallow landscape along the eastern and so many the of western shore like of that. the Delaware River. <clears throat> so many look just like that. So to entirely nuke one to reestablish native plants. Is exactly what you have to do. You're not going to leave a little bit of mugwort for the two or three sparrows that may be moving through during that time. There's enough mugwort somewhere. Yes, exactly. And we're talking about birds, right? Yeah. That uh, we're, we're under the lens of birds and yeah. critical habitat for birds and migration, essentially. I'm going to interject so, an anecdote to agree with you. Because you know what? <clears throat> not Someone, another company before, I don't know, I mean, it was Andrew Pogon or whatever. Someone came in and did like, they like broke up the concrete and planted yeah. natives. Yeah, like yeah, that was part of the trail. It's a separate project. I tell you what, you go in there as a birder, it's full of sparrows. Yeah, because they planted natives that produce seeds yeah, that they like. Exactly. So a lot of them are native ours, but that's fine. They exactly they're producing native seeds that they rec- that they're familiar with foraging for. Yeah, and uh, I agree. The, one of the first things I did was looked at that, and I was in, I was impressed at the uh, the bird use. So, um, so we, we nuked the understory entirely. We amended soil, and we, we established planting zones. Um, we, we, added a, we added structure. There were no shrubs. There was no shrub layer whatsoever out there. We planted some yeah, amelanchiers. Like, planted some understory trees and some shrubs, some viburnums and amelanchier and uh, some other good, uh, you know. And you guys bolted down the logs, damn it. We had to. I imagine you did. I, just I know. Was, I'm like, i got to flip. Ah, oh, crap, it's bolted yeah, down. Yeah, they're bolted down. <laughs> it's so, so the light people have on the lake here is, uh, is serviceberry and, you know. <laughs> Sorry, go on. So, uh, so uh, you, these are good points here. We di- This is a, the, the, the uh, bolted log thing is a segue. You know, my company does ecological restoration and sometimes in the, the wildest of spaces, you know. Where there's uh, the only intended users are native fauna, right? And when you, flora, when you hear you got diversity. People. Yeah, this is an urban park, and it's a this is a test plot. This whole project is essentially an active uh, it's litmus test to see if these projects, if the redevelopment of these piers, is something that the DRBC it wants to commit in, and the, if the the city wants to invest in. And, you know, so they want to see how people are using these, and they want to see a win-win. Right. They want to see use, active use by humans, but also active value for wildlife. Yeah. So, um, it's a smaller pier, too, might I add. Some of the, some of, so... Um, um, there's one big coal pier north, like in, uh, like, north of the casino. Yeah. It's freaking huge. Yeah. Like kids are down there up in poor Richmond. Yeah, yeah. I used to. Well, I, I spent time up there when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> this is an a bit of an outlier for us. I mean, we do city parks and stuff, but we our driver is ecological restoration. 
usually with like, you know, we're we manage we're managing land for cornered blue butterfly, you know, federally threatened species. Yeah, things like that typically are more in our wheelhouse. So this one was this mix. So like, you can't roll a log because they're bolted to the ground. Because we want a whole bunch of people from the city. We know folks from the city are going to use it no matter what. So and, you got to bullshit down. Yeah, and the, and the user base has been strong. You know, and I, I was mean? out there on a crappy rainy morning yeah. on like a Monday. Because mm. I was going by before I went to work on my way to work. Yeah. And it was, it was drizzling. And yeah, mm. I was out there. But a couple people were walking their dogs out there too. Yeah. So the people walk- are using it. Yeah. We see families laying out blankets in the little like gap, the areas where the path gets a little wider. That's awesome. So one of the biggest issues there is keeping people on the path because yeah. it is such a small space. I know. I feel like I was like, but I want to find a skink. Right. I gotta, yeah. I gotta. So I you can't, saw I can't the, get area, off the path. But I, but I gotta look. So so now let's go back to the whole conversation about speculation and science. <laughs> we talked about this because I felt it was important for both of you guys to know that skinks were being found out there. Yeah. I have to question, because I've spent some time out there, I know other naturalists that have spent time out there, and nobody's ever seen a skink before, and then we we put, you know, a couple thousand plants in, right? Oh. Mm. So, I am, I'm still excited and optimistic oh. for a number of reasons. But, and I, so I spoke, I just... Well, when did you do the plantings? Well, the plantings started probably fall of last year. So, you, but that's not enough to get a whole bunch established there, is it? No, I don't maybe think the, so. Maybe the plantings on the I mean, mainland... I, what's the probability the, 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 that people were seeing the same, like, two skinks? It's pretty low, right? But what about the, so you also had other plantings, just to, you know, introduce another variable here. You had other plantings not on the pier... From a couple of years earlier, right? Like along the just mm-hmm. the, the yeah, right. So from Washington, a different ecological restoration. Washington Avenue yeah. Green project. So still root balls, plants coming in from somewhere mm-hmm. in Jersey or Delaware or upstate PA or something like that. Right. Um, and then I hadn't even thought about that. Be right. So that well, we're it almost more, it almost I was saddened when I when I thought about this. I know it was like, but you know that's science for you, right? You can't romanticize. So you like, if we have, so we have two hypotheses here. That one is that. That skinks have persisted on these piers all these years, and then the other is that maybe they they <clears throat> hitched a ride on the plantings. But yeah. so let's so so two things here. So I talked with the contracting supervisor for our company. Yeah. You know, it's his crew that planted all these plants. And I said, "What were your, what were your plant sources?" You know, and uh, Delaware. A lot of them are from Delaware, and I was like, "Well, that's a stinky state." Yeah, it sure is. Know? Yeah. And uh, and then uh, there was something else that there was some equipment that staged in New Jersey for a while. I'll work too. Yeah. So, um, but so so here's the light at the end of the tunnel for us optimistic Philly naturalists. So now we have five line skinks that we know are on the site. Okay. And we also we, the site was managed for people primarily. However, there's a bunch of Eco nerds, there's you know wildlife biologists, botanists, and then you know within the biologist realm we have birders and herpers and this and that, and we care greatly about this stuff and we we off we we inform the designs, so there we I made sure that there was structural habitat left, there, you know we found brown snakes and garter snakes out there and I knew that there was going to be it was going to be impactful, 
And uh, there are probably, I'm sure there, I saw a garter snake, not on the pier, but on yeah. a, a, one of the weedier areas off the yeah. pier. But, uh, they're, but gonna, they're, they're, they're highly adapted. But we left that mulberry complex where there's like three mulberries coming out of the same area. Yeah. And there's all, the, there's rotted roots and stuff that go down. There's potential hibernaculum. Sure. And then there's a hibernaculum lot Hibernaculum is a place that is a hibernation den. But yes. Good, yeah. yeah, it's a place where cold-blooded animals can overwinter without freezing. Right. And uh, there, was a, there was some coarse woody debris in there, but we had the guys add some more. So now that you got this, it's I basically this big wood pile. Yeah. There, yeah. And like, you know, a, a more traditional uh, design of a park for people, especially in a city, there's no way you're going to leave piles of wood like that. I mean, we intentionally left that to, to promote invertebrate potential invertebrate presence. Yeah, kids are going to be looking under it. Fishermen are going to be pulling worms out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm hoping skinks could potentially overwinter there. And that's the thing. So even though they may come, we don't, we won't know, especially if they don't stick around, if we, if we don't find them anymore, two years, then it's going to, yeah, then it's a high probability that it was the plants. Well, but the other thing is there are other piers right near there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be hitting them. I'm definitely going to invest some time. You know, you got time to go. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm definitely going to invest some time in. Uh, I w- plus, I want to bird this site this year and see what you know. I wa- I'm very interested in the breeding birds we get on the pier versus the other ones. Nice. All right. Good stuff, guys. Yeah, this Washington Pier Park. I was excited it was being featured on this episode because I discovered it. I thought I discovered it like an individual discovery last fall, and it only opened I think in August of last year. Correct to the public. I think so. Summer of last year, yeah. yeah. The pier. The pier itself. Right, but the the trail's been going a little bit longer. Than yeah. That. So there's so to set this the picture. There's um, along the the waterfront in this part of the on this part of the Delaware River. There's a bike path that runs down it, and then there are these piers that come out into the river from there. One of them has been rehabbed as the Washington. That that's the Pier Fifty Three. Washington Avenue Green is. Is a, is a longer stretch along the base of these piers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so the, the bike trail picks up um, along the river at Tasker, and you can ride up in like, kind of a grassy area up, up to the pier, which is at Washington. And it's, it's a really lovely area. I was really immediately drawn to it. It has really great signage, if, if you're into that kind of thing, as I am. Um, <laughs> just you know, lovely design on the signs, but also yeah. beautiful native plantings. It has... For being a small park that just juts out into the water, it has really a, some enormous trees, just some really big ones that, that feel, makes you kind of feel like you're entering like a sacred space in some ways. And there's several different places to sit along the water. Um, and then at the end, there's the pier pilings where there's cormorants, uh, double crested, and you also said great cormorants mm-hmm. come down in the winter, and um, swallows nesting there. I've seen some other cool birds, so yeah, great place, a great place to hang out, and, and the skinks agree. What I did after that episode, we recorded that in the winter, so I didn't really have a chance. Now it's the spring, um, and so I went back. We've gone back a couple times. The first time I went back, um, I brought my daughter, who we had to turn around because there was a little tantrum, um, which happens sometimes when you're hiking with a three-year-old. And uh, on the way back, as she was flopping on the ground, refusing to go any further, um, I noticed some skinks, actually, <laughs> on a couple of trees. 
that were like one peer over from uh, Pier 53. Now, this was still adjacent to, or right next to, it was right next to some plantings, well, not next to, like a stone's throw from some plantings from the Washington Avenue Green section at the base of the piers. Um, and so, but it was still kind of heartening to see some skinks that weren't right on that Pier 53. Um, and we're in, um, they were just sitting on some uh, polonia trees. They got these cracks in the bark. So this is polonia. These are um, exotic, weedy trash trees, you know, surrounded by Japanese knotweed. So like thoroughly invasive, crappy stuff. Um, and the skinks are running over the base of these trees. How many did you see, do you think? Two. I saw one running around, and then I looked closely at, at the bark of another, because I was bummed I didn't get a picture, and then I saw one hiding in a crack in the bark. I got a picture of that, um, which I can post. We can post that. On the, you'll see it, actually, by now um, on our website. Uh, and um, then I went back like month, like this earlier this week, and I decided to try further south. And this was the really depressing part, um, because I found... Like, the next few viable piers south were just, like, swarming with feral cats, and people were out there feeding them. So we've got some really active feral cat colonies. Um, and again, to establish our bona fides here, Tony actually is a cat person. Talk about Lola. Uh, yeah, I have a cat, Lola. I think we talked about it before. Yeah. You know, so I have two cats. Hannah's two, Hannah's two cats. It's not that we hate cats. We just like cats indoors. Um, and so when you have a feral cat colony like that, um, what they'll do is, yeah, they're being fed, so the, but they'll also be out just because they're cats, like killing stuff for kicks. Um, and in this case, that might be skinks, and it might be some of these warblers and other sparrows, whatever other birds that we've got. Um, I don't know warblers, but sparrows, whatever other birds we've got stopping over on migration. Um, you don't want to have, have like a few dozen or a few, I don't know, a hundred cats hanging around there picking off birds on their way to Canada or the way back down. Um, so that's a little disheartening. Um, I'll keep looking for skinks and stuff. Um, I know Hannah will start looking for skinks mm-hmm. now too uh, and see what she can spot. Any final thoughts on skinks and sugar maples? Well, you know, I think to tie back to the idea of like who cares. Yeah. It's like even if the skinks weren't from a relic population because there should be, you know, skinks in our area. Um, either they were probably here before but extricated yeah. with development even if they came back you know if they recolonized you know on a, you know, even someone brought them and let them go yeah it's kind of cool they're back, they're here one way or another yeah I mean it's, it's a piece of our a sort of urban or of our native wildlife that can exist in a somewhat urban setting that is there um, and so I think I think they're fun to watch they're cool little animals um uh, we were showing Hannah pictures of the baby of, of juvenile skinks, which have bright blue tails, really neat looking animals. Um, and so people can still look at them and be, you know, learn from them and be fascinated by them, even if they hitched a ride from Delaware um, or if they were there the whole time. So it's kind of a neat thing. Uh, and um, no, it's, it's fun. I hope they stick around. Yeah, uh, the thought that I would add is this, I think it ties. Both these examples tie back to like a lot of big conversations happening in conservation and ecology right now. For example, um, there's there's a lot of argument right now in the paleo community about whether wild horses were indigenous to America before they were reintroduced by Spaniards. 
Um, and, you know, if, if there were once wild horses living in the Americas that then went extinct, and then Spaniards reintroduced wild horses, right. are they, do they belong here or not? And I think that's, it's a similar question. Why, so, why do we value kind of, why, why do we say, how do we decide what belongs and what doesn't? Um, how do we, why do we always value kind of vestigial or old populations over, over new things? And yeah. I thought you were going to mention rewilding there for a second. <laughs> Almost. I mean, it ties into that too. <laughs> so but we're un- even bigger. <laughs> unintentionally rewilding South Philly. Uh, which is a fun idea. We can think more about that. So great. Thanks. And uh, of course, don't forget to send your comments, questions, criticisms um, to feedback at urbanwildlifecast.com. Uh, we will do our best. Well, we're definitely going to read everything. Uh, we might not get a chance to respond to everything, just with the number of... I'm sure we'll be getting just buckets and buckets of messages. Um, but <laughs> Hannah's stifling her laughter right now. Um, but uh, do write us. Give us ideas for next, for future stories. Tell us what you think of this. Also, please follow us on Twitter at Herb Wildlife Cast. Like us on Facebook. And, of course, if you're listening to this through a podcasting app and you like the show, please rate it and say you like it so that other people who are looking for wildlife and urban wildlife podcasts can find us. Thank you. For the record, I was only laughing because I was imagining physical buckets full of emails. Yes. It's an interesting... Mixed metaphors. Mixed metaphors. That's fine. I'm fine with mixed metaphors. Me too. All right. Good. So, um, three horned warty back. They have these three horns, and it's and they're yeah, they're gorgeous. Would you say that in general, three muscles horns? have some of the coolest names? Was it yeah, a, do. a green metalishi with a three pronged crown? That's that Fleetwood Mac song covered by Judas Priest. I am sadly unfamiliar. <laughs> I can't believe you need my love so bad. Bad, bad, net, 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 net.